And so I'd like to begin by starting off by talking about the two main ways that people throughout time have sought happiness, joy, and contentment. And the way I'd like to uh, show you that is, uh, is to, by way of illustration, which is I recently watched a movie with my wife that our neighbor recommended. Our neighbor lives behind us. She said she thought of me. I don't know why she thought of me, but she texts me and she says, you got to watch this movie. And maybe you've seen it, but you probably didn't. Uh, it's uh, called Booksmart. Um, and it's a movie that, uh, does anyone know this? Does, and has anyone seen this movie? Yes, by a show of hands, that's why it only earned $24.8 million at the box office. It was a rather mediocre review. And basically because it's the female version of Superbad like 10 years later. And basically Booksmart earned a little bit of money and the press called it a mediocre release at the box office at best. And uh, I found a synopsis on the film that, uh, and and I believe that this film actually describes like kind of what we're going to talk about today. And so here's the description I found in the film, academic overachievers, Amy and Molly thought keeping their noses to the grindstone gave them a leg up on their high school peers. But on the eve of graduation, (laughs) you know what's going to happen now. (laughs) The best friends suddenly realize that they have very missed out on a special moment of their teenage years. Determined to make up for lost time, the girls decide to cram four years of not-to-be-missed fun into one night, a chaotic adventure that no amount of book smarts could prepare them for. And and that's exactly what happens. That was a really good synopsis. They're, like, really nerdy, and then they, like, and there's all the cool kids, and they're like, oh, I play soccer and I party, ha And they realize that they have so much to learn from the party crowd. And what I love about the movie is not... Uh, any of the point of the movie, it wasn't that funny and it wasn't that good. And frankly, I can't recommend it because I'm a pastor. But what I can say is what I love, what it highlighted, like the reality of the way we kind of view the world in these two camps. Either you're like a good person that tries to like do the right things or you're a person that's more the self-discoverist free type person. And this is the story of two girls that are very uptight that learn from the self-discovery people. And so I wanted to use that as an illustration. There's two ways that people generally try to find contentment or happiness in the world. And those two ways are moral conformity versus self-discovery. Moral conformity says, I'm not going to do what I want to do, but but what tradition and community tell me to do. And self-discovery says, I'm the only one that can decide what's right and wrong for me. I am going to live as I want to live and find my true self and happiness that way, the self-discoverist, uh, or excuse me, the moral conformity side of people, they say um, the immoral people, the people that do their own thing, they're the problem with the world. The moral people are the solution. But the self-discoverist might say, you bigoted people, you are the people who say you have all the answers. You're the problem with the world. The progressive people are the solution. And for years and years and years, like thousands of years, People have gone back and forth on what is the way to contentment, to enlightenment, to the full life. How do I be happy? Some people say it's through tradition. Other people say it's through discovering oneself. Now, we see this even today. We see this in politics. We see this in the way the left and the right interact with each other and the way they think about things. We see this also in the way of how young adults, when they leave their house, some people are tried to be buttoned down and do everything right, and some people kind of wild out and they kind of spin out of control. And we even see subsets of this. Like, for example, I can't tell you in West Los Angeles 
How many self-discoverers, people that feel like they need to carve out their own way, they seek to find true happiness for themselves. How many of them actually develop a new set of traditions and beliefs? And so doing so in Santa Monica, you may not be religious in the traditional sense, but you may very well be religious in the secular sense. You might not follow God and follow a rule book or however you see it in terms of uh, like how you read the Bible, but you might follow the rules of your boutique gym that require you to bring a reusable water bottle and show up and look a certain way and wear a certain kind of clothes. Or you politically in West Los Angeles, uh, you, as I find this part of the city to be very progressive. Uh, but in this community, we find that we tend to reject anyone that doesn't vote like us and think like us and spend money like we do. So even in the self-discovery side, there's a subset that figures out who's in and who's out. And the list goes on and on and on. And the reason I talk about uh, this movie, Book Smart, the reason I talk about the self-discoverers versus the moral conformist is that Jesus also talked about these two camps. In many of his parables and stories and things about his life, we see that he was often describing people that were trying to do the right thing to please God and people who were doing the right thing in their own eyes to try to please themselves. And he looks at them both and he says, I love you, but you're both wrong. And what Jesus offers is a third way. He doesn't offer us the way of self-discovery. He doesn't offer us the way of moral conformity. He offers us a third way. And so often he would say things like, your religion is killing you, which is why I've called today's message, your religion is killing you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm very excited about what we're talking about today, if you haven't figured that out. So why don't we do this? Let's invite God's presence one more time. And what I want to encourage you to do is when I'm praying, I want you to open your heart and say, God, I'm open to what you might want to say to me today. And so we invite you here, God, right now. You'd fill this room from the front row to the back row. God, that you would speak. You would talk to us about what's going on. God, we're open. We want to hear from you today. Help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the book of John. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or if you have an app on your phone, you can click over from whatever else you're on on your phone and check it out. Or you can follow along on the screen. And in John chapter 4, there's a story between Jesus and another person that highlights how our religion can be the thing that kills us. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Pause. Let's talk, let's talk about Pharisees real quick. Some of you know what Pharisees are. Some of you don't know what Pharisees are. Pharisees. Pharisees are important for what we're going to talk about today. Now, Pharisees, they were deeply passionate people who believed in living up to the laws laid out in Judaism. And they focused on every religious aspect of the faith, and they did it perfectly. They were an inspiration to the people. And in some ways, the people looked up to them. And they believed from their passionate obedience that God would reward them and bring about the change that they were looking for in their society. That God would actually honor what they were doing, and he would see that as a progressive move, and they could actually push out the occupiers, the Roman government. As you know, yours, you may or may not know, the Roman government was occupying Israel, and, 
And they believed that if we were clear enough and we lived up to the law that God gave us, that we could make Israel great again. That it would be pushed out, all the bad would be pushed out, and we could restore ourselves to our former glory. The second point I think you need to know about Pharisees is that the Pharisees were paying attention to who was being baptized for a couple of reasons. Because it was a sign of power and also because it was a sign of inclusion. It's a sign of power. Imagine you're a Pharisee and you enjoy all the benefits of being a Pharisee because you're the most passionate in town and you're the most religious and everybody loves you. And then you hear uh, someone texts you uh, in first century. They had, they had cell phones back then. And so they're texting you and they're like, hey, did you hear Jesus is baptizing more people than John? They're like, whoa, what is up with that? Why is he doing that? Is he gaining more followers than we have? What happens is what he's doing. Is that going to undermine our power and our authority? Who is this new guy? So it causes a little bit of unrest. And the second thing is that it was a public sign of inclusion. So the Pharisees want to know, they get to decide who's in and who's out, who's a part of the club, who's uh, welcomed in by God. And if you were welcomed by God, then we will welcome you in too. And the Pharisees normally got to decide that kind of stuff along with the teachers of the law and the scribes. And they were deciding that. And Jesus is coming along and he's including people and he's including lots of people. So they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to kind of figure out what's going on here. We need to figure out who Jesus is including on his team. Because I think Jesus is on our team. But if he's including people that shouldn't be on our team, that's going to be a problem for us. And if we fast forward, we ultimately find that it was a huge problem for them. They ended up killing him over this stuff. But let's go back to John 4 and we read this in verse 3. He says, um, so he left Judea and went back to, he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground. Jacob had given his son, Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Pause. Pause. You need to know what a Samaritan is. Samaritans kind of followed the Jewish law, but they intermarried with other races. And for that reason, the Jewish people rejected the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of like, they would call them a half-breed. They weren't actually pure. And so they didn't have a good relationship with the rest of Israel. They were outcasts. The second thing is, we see that Jesus, so what was the first thing? So Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. Jesus, a Jew, is talking to a Samaritan. That's not allowed. Second thing, Jesus, the Jew, is talking to a Samaritan woman. Like Jewish men in public situations didn't talk to women like they do today. We walk up to people, we're like, hey, what's up? How are you? Yeah, can I get a cup of water? And then you kind of have an exchange and everything works out. That's not the way it works. So Jesus is violating two norms. He's talking to a Jewish as there's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. And then we also see this third thing, which is included, that she is going to draw water from a well. They didn't have faucets, so she goes and she draws water. She's drawing water from the well when? About noon. That's the hottest part of the day. Why did she do that? She did that so that she could avoid 
the other women who would go draw water. Normally you drew water in this culture in the morning before it got hot. So you have someone, what's going on here? She doesn't want to be a part of her own society. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. And Jesus is violating all these cultural norms. We're getting the impression that there's something up with, this, with, with Jesus, but there's also something up with this woman. We're going to get the picture in just a second. So we read on in verse 11. It says, this is what she says. Jesus does this whole thing about, oh, living water. And so she responds, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Pause. Uh-oh. <laughs> this takes a turn for the what is going on here. She's like, oh, sir, give me this living water. He's like, go grab your husband. And he's, <laughs> she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you've had five husbands. And what, like, he's, what we call in the vineyard, he's reading her mail, which is like an expression to say, like, he is hearing from God about this woman. And he's saying, I know about you. I know you. I know what you struggle with. I know what you're going through. And we also see that Jesus is offering this woman an alternative way to experience, alternative, uh, to experience eternal life. He's offering a different way to connect with God. So why is it that a Jewish rabbi had to go through Samaria to sit in Samaria and talk to a Samaritan woman who's been rejected by her own people, one who's had five husbands and she's currently sleeping with somebody else she's living with she's not even married to? Why is it that Jesus is going so far out of his way to welcome this woman who by traditional societal standards doesn't really matter we read on in verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Like, no crap, right? Um, <laughs> Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. 
What a powerful moment. Jesus is saying to the woman, I am what you've been looking for. And I don't want you to get distracted right now. I love you. Don't get distracted about where, which mountain we should worship on, okay? And he's saying, Jesus is saying to this woman, don't let the constraints of your religious practices keep you from experiencing the God of the universe. Don't let how others exclude you to define how God is welcoming you. God is welcoming you into his kingdom. We're going to move all this junk out of the way. But she's like, oh, sir, but I worship on this. Mountain. Get stop for a second. The living God is in front of you and he's calling you to himself. You've got it. And guess what? I know what I'm violating here. I know that you're a Samaritan. I know that you're a woman. And I know that you've been sleeping around and maybe be rejected by men, maybe because you can't have a baby or maybe because of what any number of reasons. But I'm just going to put all that aside. My arms are open. I welcome you in. And here's the end of that story. Look at verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the, so, so it's, it's kind of clear what's going on here. Everyone in the town knows what she's up to. And he's like, hey, guess what? This guy knows me. He, everything I ever did. And she, in verse 40, we read, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Amen. There is something that just feels right about this story. Isn't it great? Jesus, an underdog in an underdog country, goes to an underdog location. And he welcomes people that God or others would never normally welcome or what we think God wouldn't welcome. And we see this woman battered down, abused, rejected by men, rejected by her own people. She's sitting there and she's like, is there a way forward for me? Is there anything that's going to work in my life? I've made so many mistakes. I'm just trying to get my life to work. God, do you love me? Do you have a plan for me? And when she interacts with Jesus, it becomes absolutely clear. Yes, there is a way you are welcomed into the family of God. See, the, the gospel which means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about self-discovery and it is not about moral conformity. The gospel does not put the responsibility on us to get close to God. The gospel is I have come and I have made a way for you to experience life. The depression you go through, the brokenheartedness you face, all the things that have not worked out in life, I can move through those and show you Real life. Jesus came and died on the cross, showing this the ultimate, paying the ultimate price, showing us that he loves us. And he did it for people that didn't agree with him or look like him. And he did it for people that are like you and for me. Now, there's something really interesting about this, which brings us to our central illustration for today. There's something cool and different about the way Jesus. Uh, talks about God and how Jesus has a relationship with God. And what I'd like to show you today is something called the bonded set versus the centered set. Now, the bonded set and the centered set are two different ways to relate to God. Now, I want to show you the bonded set first. I think we have a graphic of that, the bonded set. 
The bonded, can you go to the next slide? It's a, it's a bonded set slide. There it is. Look at the bonded set. And so you've got this circle. And the circle is pretty thick. Got some thick, uh, you know, whatever, thickness. Uh, thick wall. Got to build a wall. And then and there's people who are inside the circle. And there's people who are outside the circle. Uh, and often this is the way we think about how we should think about people in relationship to Jesus and Christianity. There's people who are in, and there's people who are out. The people who are in, yay. The people who are out, oh, not so good. And usually, how we define who's in and who's out is three things. We can go to the next slide. Usually, it's defined by three things. It's defined, uh, we define it, uh, what it means to be in. The second is determine who has identified as being in. And the third is help the in people remain in. And I would add a fourth, which would be help the out people get in. Now, what's the problem with this? This seems pretty good. Oh, well, uh, is the person a Christian or are they not a Christian? Are they in or are they out? Are they a part of our club or are they not a part of our club? Are they a part of our church or are they not a part? What is this? What's wrong with this? The problem is, is that you can believe all the right things and you can behave in all the right ways and you can serve your little heart out, but your heart can still be very far away from God. Your heart can have nothing to do with God at all. You could have like all the pieces in place, but like, I just don't know God. And this seems to be the way that the Pharisees Related to people. They believed all the right things. You know, God, 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 God. They behaved. They didn't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. And they served their little hearts out. They were giving a tenth of their mint and their spices. And they would like give away their money. And they would be like, oh, we're doing everything right. High five, fellow Pharisee. They would do it all right. But they didn't seem to have a relationship with God. We also see this seems to be the way that Samaritans viewed themselves in light of their rejection from the Jewish people. And we also see that this seems to be the way that the woman views herself in Samaritan society, which has also been rejected by the Jewish community. And today, even in among the moral conformist camp, the people that try to follow moral conformity, this view of God defined by who is in and who is out, it permeates many churches today. And perhaps you have experienced this in and out phenomenon. Do we think here at this church that it's wrong to believe good things and right things? No. Do we think it's important for you to not blow up your life and do terrible things? Yes. Wait, yes or no? I don't know how to answer that. We don't think you should do that. Yeah, it's good to behave. Is it good to serve? Come early, set up chairs, hang out in this church, serve the poor in our community? Absolutely. But it doesn't seem like it's a good measurement to figure out who's in with God and who's not. And even today among the self-discovers camp, it might not be because you're connecting to God as an authority. You're connecting to yourself as authority. We still create lines of who is in and who is out. Spend five minutes with us at any parent function in the Santa Monica school district. And there are lines in and out. It has nothing to do with God and the Torah. But people generally put people in camps of in and out. 
And what we see from the life of Jesus is that he generally doesn't do this. Now, there's a second way we can think about how we can relate to God. And it's called the centered set. The centered set is different than the bonded set. Notice there's no clear defining line of who's in and who's out. So on your paper, if you have the little handout, you can actually start drawing arrows. You can draw, you can draw your own arrows. We wanted you to draw your own arrows. Who's we? I'm the one that did it. No one was, there was no committee. Like, should we have them draw their own arrows? Uh, you can draw your own. I wasn't like, we said, okay, we've made a decision. We'll have the people draw their own arrows. So you can draw your own arrows on your little thing. So maybe you can pick where you think you might be in that circle and, and kind of draw. And so you know, while, we're, while you're doing that, the bonded set is generally, don't, don't go to the next slide. Just leave that up for a minute. You see in this, in this graphic, the cross represents the person of Jesus. Not a belief system about Jesus. It represents the person of Jesus, the real living God who's actually with us in this room right now. He's actually here. He's actually been talking to some of you for like years. And he's talking to some of you even like right now. He's like talking to us and he's with us. So the real person of Jesus is in the center. And then you have all these different groups of people. Some are together, some are separate, some are going uh, the same direction, some are going separate directions. Some are moving towards Jesus, and some are moving away from Jesus. And here's how we define the bonded set. The bonded, uh, I mean the centered set. We define the centered set, uh, it recognizes that people are on diverse journeys. It focuses on movement towards Jesus, and it emphasizes our relationship with Jesus. So when we read this, when we see this, And we look at the life of Jesus. We look at the stories of Jesus in the Bible. We read all the things about him. We see the way that Jesus interacted with people. This seems to be the more appropriate sketch. We see that Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for Pharisees, people that put people in boxes, in or out. We look at the life of Peter, and we actually don't see a clear line where Peter, one of the most talked about disciples, When he actually became a follower of Jesus, he made good choices and he made bad choices up to the very end of his life. But what we see is that Jesus was more interested in the trajectory of someone's life than he was defining if they were in or if they were out. And in the Bible, we see that there will be a judgment at the end of time. But that judgment will be directed by God and not by us. That is not our job. And that's not our job now. Now, Jesus calls people to repent in this model. He calls people to turn away from the things that they are doing that are killing them. He invites us to new life and he invites us to new relationship with him. But he doesn't require his followers to exclude, to try to exclude people from trying to figure it out. He doesn't require churches to draw fake lines to decide who's in and who's out. The centered set generally tends to be a more accurate way uh, that Jesus calls people into life with him. And I totally think that there's limits to this analogy. Like, well, our belief, like, do we believe in, like, God, like, speaking to us? And, like, uh, do we believe in, like, when, you know, like, the regeneration of our spirit? Like, when we accept, accept and follow? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this helps keep us focused on what Jesus was focused on, which is people. And Jesus' followers, here's what we know. Jesus' followers are called to be the good news, not be the gatekeepers of who gets to experience it. And that's very true. I mean, imagine this. I want to use an illustration. 
Imagine I am very wealthy. Chris Meekins is very wealthy. And for this illustration, because I'm very wealthy, let's call me Cashflow Chris. Because <laughs> I got all that Skrilla. So Cashflow Chris is here, and he's got all that cash. And I come to you, and I say to you, Hey, Megan, hey, Brianna, would you like a new car and a new house? And I say to you, there's no spending limit. I'll give it to you for free. And if you will, all you have to do, here's, here's what you need to do to accept it. It's a free gift, by the way. And I'll pay your taxes every year, like, because I know you're going to want a big mansion. And so, like, that'll be, like, really high tax bill. I'll just pay the taxes every year for, like, for the rest of your life. If anybody asks you where you got the free car and the free house, all you have to do is tell them that I gave it to you. And if they come talk to me, I'd be happy to do the same for them. That's all you have to do. So first of all, uh, if I came to all of you and said that, uh, what car would you pick? Just yell out your car. I want to hear, I want to hear the cars. What car? What, Subaru. A Subaru. How practical. <laughs> That's, yeah, I know what kind of car. Yeah, oh man, you know, can I get that Subaru? Can I get that Baru? What else would you get? Good, Subaru. Would that be a four-door? Would that be like a family sedan? Okay, cool. Four-door family sedan, Subaru. What else? Any other good cars? Okay, cool. Nice Bentley. Nice. Okay, cool. Bentley, Subaru, very similar. Okay, what else we got? Anyone on this side? A what? A Cadillac? A Tesla. Okay. A Tesla SUV with the X. Not the Y that's coming out in 22. Get the X. Get the upgrade. Get the rims. You know, get the thing installed. Yes. And where would you guys live? Where would you move? If you could move anywhere. And I, I, <laughs> instead of Monica, north of, north of Montana. Yeah, of course. Be right here. Yeah. Anywhere else? Who would, move anywhere? Who, would, who would leave the state and move to like Hawaii or something like that? Anyone? No? Okay. Any takers? Good. So, um, <laughs> good. Stay right here. You're going to be in this church forever. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now, imagine a few months later, you've overhear somebody else uh, who also received the house-car combo. And they're talking with other people uh, uh, who also have a house-car combo because I'm really generous in this scenario. And they, uh, they, um, you hear them talking and, and they say something like, oh, well, did you hear so-and-so? Did you hear about Patrick? He hasn't got the car and the house combo. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know if we should be hanging out with him that much. I don't think we should be spending as much time with him. He's not in on that in. Like, he doesn't have the car combo. It's kind of weird to have conversations with him. That would be a little weird. And if you overheard someone else doing that, you would probably say something. You'd probably go up to those people like, guys, I think you're missing the point. I don't think you're really remembering why Cashflow Chris gave us the house and the car. He didn't give you the house and the car so you could figure out who was not getting the house and the car. Who didn't have it? I think Chris wants us to enjoy what we have. And I'm pretty sure he was clear. He wanted us to hand out his phone number so that Patrick could text him to get the house car combo. And often, I think, this is how we think about eternal life and the life that Jesus offers now. Jesus has done everything necessary for us to experience life and healing and wholeness. And it's very possible that sometimes we can get distracted by figuring out who's a part of our club and who isn't. Rather, we are invited to live out the calling that God has for us to show that we've been radically changed and allow that testimony to radically change others. We don't have to be the guardians of inside and outside. 
Um, I have this, uh, I have this thing uh, I want to show you on the screen. It's, it's, it reads like this. What does it mean for Jesus, for how Jesus thinks about how we relate to him? Well, it means two things. It means, one, uh, every person is on a spiritual journey. And two, we too are on a spiritual journey. So, what is it? so every person is on a spiritual journey. What this means is, if we're thinking more about centered set instead of the bonded set, no one is the enemy. Everyone is a real human being that needs to be called back to his or her real home in God. And when we begin to view other people as sojourners on a spiritual journey, it improves the way that we treat people who are also on the spiritual journey. We can judge less and we can listen more. But it also means that we too are on a spiritual journey. We are in a different place than maybe the people we're talking to and sharing our life with, uh, life with Jesus with. But this understanding helps us get rid of the us versus them mentality and how we relate to people in our community. Let me give you another illustration. Recently, uh, famed hip-hop artist and husband to Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, recently came out very publicly as a Jesus follower. And I remember when this happened, there was a lot of abuzz over on the interwebs and the Facebooks and the Twitters. And like even people in our own church were stirring. They were like, is this real? Is this real? Is this just another stunt? Kanye, he's so this or that or the other. Is this a real thing? And one of the discussions I often heard or observed uh, on, in the public eye was like, is he really a Christian or is, he really not, or is he not a Christian? Is he in or is he out? And like, I think what we're seeing in, in John chapter 4, what we've been trying to show you with the centered set, that like, hey, maybe it's not so good in situations like this to like try to figure out if Kanye's in or out. Maybe the solution is to be like, wow, there's a certain trajectory that Kanye's on that's moving towards Jesus because he's moving towards the heart of God. And I can't judge his heart. I don't know. I mean, he struggled with mental illness for years. I don't know what's going on here, really. But I do like that he's moving towards Jesus. And what if this is, you know, what I don't want to get in the way of that. So I celebrate and I get excited when I see people moving towards Jesus. Now, it might not mean that like, we're like, oh, you need to come in and start uh, preaching at our church, Kanye. Um, you know, you can do that at Joel Osteen's church for a few weeks if you want. We'll, we'll get to know you. We'll build a relationship with you. But we don't. We can relieve ourselves from that pressure of having to kind of figure out who's in and who's out. Can't we just be excited for Kanye? Can't we just be excited for whatever's happening here? And at Pacific City Church, we're not asking you to be a gatekeeper, a keeper of the rules. We're not asking you to run around and keep a secret tally on who's in and who's out. We're not even asking you to kind of do this in your everyday life with other, with other uh, things. What we are asking you to do, what you are invited to do at Pac City Church is live the Jesus brand. To welcome his power and his presence into your life. To welcome the reality that the cross breaks the power of the things that you can't get rid of in your life. And as you turn to him, as in every, and I'm not even talking about people that like don't know Jesus. Like if you know Jesus and have a relationship with him, as you continue to turn to him, he will continue to make you new. He will continue to change you. You are invited to live a life 
that smells of the grace of Jesus. That's the most fragrant and aromic, aroma, aroma, aromic, is that a word? Aroma, uh, aromatic. I should go back. <laughs> aromatic, you know, you get going here. Uh, it's the most aromatic thing you could do in your life. Wouldn't it be easier if God would just start talking to you and healing you and changing you? And then people, imagine like you're at work and people, what's going on with you? And like your life looks different. They're like, I got to know. I got to know. I got to know what's going on with you. Give me that water. I'm thirsty for it. I need it. That's not going to happen exactly like that. They're not going to, I'm thirsty. Give me some of that water. And you're like, woman, you do not know the water you speak of. You don't have to do that. But what you can do is let your life shine and let that speak versus like just kind of judging people. You can get rid of that. You are officially free. God has broken the power of judging who's in and out over this crowd today. You don't have to do that. You can welcome him into your life and allow your life to speak. I'm going to give you uh, some, actually, literally most of you know this story. Some of you don't. Um, you don't know this. Uh, if you don't know this, just, you know, listen. So my family, my parents came out of very, like, not Christian homes. And uh, generally just a lot of abuse, alcohol, drugs, physical abuse in the homes. And when they had radical encounters with Jesus in their early 20s, everything changed. And, but they didn't have everything right. They were doing some weird things, you know. They still had some bad habits. They were working out, like, how they're going to relate to each other. They're dating, getting pregnant with me. Hey, surprise. And they, like, just, they were, everything was, like, out of order, Right? And the part I want to emphasize is, um, is that, like, they went to, like, a few churches to try to figure out, like, how to follow Jesus. And it didn't actually work out for them. And they came to this one church, Grace Church. They walked in the doors, and they introduced themselves to the pastor, Pastor Donald Schaefer. And they said, hey, you know, my name's Chris Meekins. This is my wife. Uh, this is my, you know, girlfriend, Joyce. We want to get married. And Donald Schaefer who didn't really know them. He knew him. He had met him once in third grade, like a bunch of years earlier. He says, Chris, welcome home. And he welcomed him in. And that is the thing. That's the aroma. That's the, that's the stench of Jesus that actually started to transform my parents' life. Because they weren't doing everything right. They weren't believing all the right things. I don't think they knew anything. I don't think they even knew what the word theology was. They didn't behave in all the right ways. They were making babies and getting sober, not married. And they weren't serving. They weren't giving to the church. They weren't like, mm, here's 10% of my salary, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Don. His son, Jonathan, took over the church. They didn't do anything right. It was all backwards. By all intents and purposes, they were out. But Donald welcomed them in. He welcomed them and said, welcome home. And do you know that had a profound effect on them? And I got to grow up hearing that story. The grace transferred from that parental unit system to me. 
And I got to see a totally different way of thinking that, no, hey, you don't have to have it all figured out right to come into this room, but Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And when I look around this room, I see a bunch of us who actually came into this church like, am I going to be okay here? And of course we said, yeah, you are welcome here. And what I would hope for us as a church is that we would go out and we would change our mindset that we wouldn't just think about people who are in and who are out, but we would live like Jesus, welcoming those around us into life with Jesus. And they may not have it all figured out, but guess what? Neither do you. And let's rally around them and let's help them the best that we can. Not because we're trying to get them to cross the line, but because we want to offer the life that we already have experienced. Isn't this a much healthier way to follow Jesus?